I've really enjoyed going through the book of Mark. Um, it's interesting. We had the Roots class, and when they first talked about the Roots class, which is our opportunity to understand how to be grounded in the faith, one of the phrases that Kurt used, and I don't know, maybe it's uh, in association with the book, was it's following the rhythms, just the rhythms and the walk with God. And I've never been introduced better to the rhythms of walking with Jesus than through this book of Mark, because you keep seeing what he's really doing. And I'm just aware today that the rhythms that we have in today's society could benefit from understanding in the rhythms of the walk with Jesus and those who follow him. And so I'm asking us today to think a little bit differently. So let, so we're all in a rhythm. We're all in patterns. We're all doing things. I call it very affectionately. We live on planet, on planet crazy. There's just so much going all the time. There's so many demands and distractions. And so it's been a beautiful thing to just almost do like a pause and say, wait a minute, this is what it looked like when Jesus walked on the earth. And this is the rhythm that he established, and I want to be able to establish those rhythms too. And so what I'm acknowledging today is that it's easy to miss somehow when we read the Bible, and I've read the Bible several times. Some of you may or may not know that I was a pastor for about 20 years, full-time pastor, and then God called me out of the full-time ministry, and I went into corporate America. You want to know about culture shock? Uh, it really was. Um, and I'll tell you, corporate America is not all it's cracked up to be. It, it, it really needs the Lord, and just like everyone else, really needs the Lord. But in that, it was almost like a stark contrast of, of I felt like going back and rewriting all my sermons and making them better after, you know, living in one sphere of influence and stepping out. But man, I didn't realize how significant it really is to walk on planet crazy. And so today what I don't want us to do as we're looking in the Word of God is to look at it flippantly maybe, or just to look at it, and, yeah, right. I want us to look at it like, you know what, if we knew how to get in this rhythm, everything would change. And so that's what I'm asking for us to be able to do today. And it's interesting because I'm just going to do a very quick survey of the book of Mark. It starts out like this. God says, Jesus, you're going to be born of a virgin. Okay, just let's wake up on that one for a moment. All right. And then, by the way, I'm going to have your cousin, and he's going to be the forerunner. He's going to tell everybody that you're God on earth. How do you want, anybody want to be John the Baptist for that job? This is what really happened, friends. And then Jesus gets baptized by John's and John, and, and whether you believe it or not, because sometimes it's hard to believe, and I understand it, but the heavens opened up, and God spoke, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. God spoke to planet crazy by renting the heavens when Jesus got baptized. That's what happened. Jesus goes into the wilderness just to be able to really fine-tune in his walk with his father, and all the hosts of hell come after him. The demonic, just after him. So he's there 40 days and 40 nights, and friends, he's not eating or drinking. That's not even physically possible. That's, so, see what I'm saying? We either believe this stuff or we don't. But that's what, and then they kill him, and then he gets raised from the dead, and he says, this is what it really looks like. And then the last portion is, okay, church, this is how you get in the group. This is how you get in the rhythm. 
And what's interesting is I've looked through the uh, book of Mark, there's three sets of people that Jesus interact with. And I just want to share them with you really quick. One set is the crowd. He keeps calling these crowds to himself. And he says, this is the way you think it is. Let me tell you how it really is. So it's the crowd. And he's letting everybody know. And sometimes the crowds come to him. Sometimes he goes and creates the crowds. But there's an interaction with the crowds. Number two is after he interacts with the, the crowds. And you will see this very clearly in the book of Mark. Then the religion, religious leaders of the religion spirit shows up. And it tries to actually counterfeit what Jesus said or take away from it at some level. Minimize the very teachings of God himself. So that religious spirit just comes after what Jesus has spoken to the crowd. So now the crowds are going, who am I going to believe, right? Messiah or the religious leaders? And Kurt, you did a great job last week. I love the difference between what you would call a heart condition and human tradition. That's how I took in Kurt's message. You're going to go with human tradition, you're going to go with planet crazy, or you can go with what Jesus says. You, your choice is ours. So that's what the religious does. It tries to come and control the things and the teachings of Jesus. And then number three is you, Jesus interacts with his disciples. So what he does, he says, okay, here's the crowd. Now the religion comes against it. So then he pulls his disciples inside, aside and says, let's go deeper. Let's talk about because this is the way it really is. And so that's the three sets. Can you just put those up? And so I want us to be able to see it in this passage that we're getting ready to uh, move in today. Kurt hit on these uh, last week, but I just want you to know that this isn't me making this up. If you read the book of Mark, this is the rhythm of Jesus. Crowd, religion, disciples. Friends, today, in, in the best sense of the word, we're kind of crowd. We're, you know, we're all here together trying to hear from the Lord so that our lives will be different. And then you have to sit there and you have to put aside all the religious stuff. You have to put aside what the world says. And at some point, you're going to have to be a disciple and go to Jesus and say, would you help me understand what this looks like for Marty? Not Marty, but you know what I mean, for you. Right? And so that's our disciple moment. We've got to lean into that. So the things that I'm getting ready to share today, they're from the very word of God. They warrant our leaning into. Please hear me. This isn't like conjecture. This isn't you know, me giving you a suggestion. This is the way it worked with Jesus and what Jesus is helping us to get into the rhythm. Will we lean in? Will we go deep with what the Lord's saying? And if it's a little tough for some of us, you're in the right place. That's another reason we're together. It's hard to figure this out. So we come together and seek the Spirit of God. We don't go solo. We go together. And it's supposed to be hard. That's another thing that if you read the book of Mark, it's not easy. It's hard all the time. It's just hard. But it's not like you escape the hard. You just do hard better. You do it with Jesus. You do it with brothers and sisters. You do it together, better together, right? We were made for hard. We're made for this day. And if it's, it's a little bit unnerving, then we just have to say, Lord, I'm ready to go to that new place with you, to the unnerving place, the not easy place. And that's okay, too, because he said, look, you can't put new wine in old wineskins. There's a new wineskin. You can't fix the old cloth without, uh, you know, turning it and doing more damage. You've got, you got to become new to really receive what I'm saying. So that's how he works. And so in a sense, I'm so grateful because I can't even remember uh, Kurt, Liz, Eddie, I don't remember how our preaching team decided to go through the book of Mark, 
I'm just going to give credit to Eddie. I don't know. I just think of it. But some, I mean, maybe the Lord just lets us. Let's go through Mark. I remember thinking myself, that's going to take a long time. It's not going to fit up with the church calendar. Year, but, you know, we've got to go right for July type stuff. It's been so good for me to catch the rhythm of the book of Mark, just the way Christianity is supposed to work. All right, so we know that we're going to be going through those three things. The disciples are coming to that point. They're going to ask him, Lord, how do we go deep? How, how are we going to be able to walk with you? And that's the question I want to make sure we address today. But before we do, I want us to own it for a moment. I want us to own the reality that when Jesus interacted with his followers, that he was giving them an opportunity to encounter what I call a life-changing moment. It was a moment when, when you encounter Jesus, it's supposed to go like this everything changes. Nothing's the same again. When Jesus takes his disciples and pulls them aside and has personal teaching, training with them, they don't go away the same. And so today, as we lean in, it's just an amazing opportunity for us to go away different. I love the music today. Can you hear it? Let's be present to this moment. Come on, spirit of the living God. We don't want to be the same as, you know, as we came, I heard that in Kurt's voice. We want to be able to lean into hope so much that we carry hope. We carry it. And so it's not that something out there we're grabbing for. It's something that we own. It's something that we carry. And by the way, Planet Crazy needs it a lot. It does. And so I just wanted to, to lean in for a moment. Would you take a minute just uh, in your seat, and would you think of this uh, statement and answer it for yourself. But when was the last time you had a life-changing moment? When was the last time you did? Where, where something happened and then after that you were different. You were never the same because of it. Or maybe it even was where you had an interaction with somebody else and then they went away different and they were never the same because of that moment. This last week, it was interesting to me. I saw two life-changing moments very clearly, as clear as I've ever seen them. They're both tied to the same thing. I had the opportunity to interact with two alcoholics this last week. Both of them are friends. I mean, close pe people very close to me. The same outcome was offered to each one. You can go into a rehab center, and it will be taken care of. All you have to do is go. One said yes. One said no. Life-changing forever moments happened last week for both people. Both. My sister, a couple months ago, going in for a regular checkup. You've got breast cancer. Life-changing moment. Bam. Never going to be the same again after that, right? Going through all the stuff. The way that we stop and process life can enable us to not just be changed by life, but I'm suggesting that what we can do in Christ is create life-changing moments for other people. 
that's what the Book of Mark means to me. Kurt, you use the word a couple of times that God calls us to be change agents. And I just want us to recognize that Christians, we are called to be change agents. And now if you would just look to the person to your left or to the right or behind you, uh, would you just look at them and just see the change agent that God's brought in your life? Come on. That's a change agent. That's not a secret agent. Do you understand it? That these individuals in this room right here, we have an opportunity to carry hope and change to each and every person we interact with. We can give them an opportunity where they can go down and life will be the same or life will never be the same again because everything changes after our interaction with them. That's what I mean by change agents. And, and it's not that hard. It's a rhythm. It's a rhythm of being able to see the eternal versus the external and choosing right. That's really what it's going to come down to. And so I just want us to recognize that uh, love and truth can come together and do things that are always going to create change for those who receive it. It will. And I've shared, with this, shared this with you before, but there's two things in God's word that never change. I'm sure there's a lot more than that. But one of them is that truth never returns void and we should just get happy right here. Hey, out there in the lobby, can you hear me? Now I just want to make sure you get this. Truth never returns void. So whenever you operate with truth, whenever you open up truth, it never comes empty. It never comes up short. It always wins. Truth is an amazing thing to release on behalf of other people, change agents. Truth isn't supposed to find a resting place. Truth creates a change place. That's what it does. It never returns void. Hey, in here, love never returns void. If you love somebody right, that love is never wasted. It doesn't matter what they do with it. We love the people we met with last week enough to have the hard conversations that you need to check in. You're going nowhere. We love them enough. One said yes, one said no. Do you think that the story ended there? We said the truth. We said it in love. Can't, don't you know what's just haunting that other individual right now? The right in the best sense of the word. Truth and love never return void. They're always a part of moving people towards change. That's part of the rhythm. So we need to be great at operating in truth and love. And if we don't understand it, specifically because of what we see in the world, or the way that the religion sets it up, we need to step out of the world, we need to step out of our religious traditions and step into the inner room of Jesus and say, would you teach me on this? Because that's, that's really what's going to carry us. So I just want to show you, I looked it up on Webster, I know this is old school, but at least I used my phone instead of opening up the dictionary. But I looked up the words external, and I looked up the word eternal. Because change agents are going to have to figure this out. If we just said love and truth never return void, in a sense, what I'm saying is that they have eternal forever value. Amen? Love and truth have an eternal forever value that are never wasted. And when we release them, we've done well. But look at this. I thought it was hysterical. The definition of external is capable of being perceived outwardly. So I, look at, I started looking at my life. I go, how much of what I give attention to has to do with outward things? And it was kind of sad. 
I mean, if you just did a cost-benefit analysis of how much we do and the outcome we get for it, so I put a lot of effort into making my externals look good. I take care of the house, the car, the, you know, I'm doing a lot of external stuff and I'm getting some reward for it. But you know what, all the, all the energy I put into it, I'm not sure it's worth it. Not to mention, I work pretty hard trying to make this look presentable. This is, this is getting harder all the time. I'm serious, I didn't have to wear glasses, people. This is a new thing, I hate my glasses. Well, I love them because I can see, but I hate needing them. It's just like you have to work harder all the time making these externals work for us but they're outward. Look at this, it says, having merely the appearance of something, the outward appearance, it's superficial. Well, even Webster just nails it. And this is one of the things, young people, I don't want to look at you right now, but this is one of the things I like best about young people. They, they really don't care that much about that external stuff. I mean, I, I just see them like, yeah, you know, like, like, I feel like I've done something that should impress them and they're not impressed. I'm going, good job, young people. Yeah, I shouldn't really impress you. If it's outward, if it's superficial, it's outward and superficial. Yeah, it has some kind of merit, big deal. All right, so anyway, it has to do with uh, nothing of true intrinsic value. Now look at the word external. Even Webster got that. Having infinite duration, everlasting. Has anybody ever leaned into the word everlasting? Do you know that God says he is from everlasting to everlasting? That, that hurts. <laughs> it really, it really my, it makes my brain hurt. How do you come from everlasting and go to everlasting? It, it's just who he is. That's what he does. But Webster gets it. And it's characterized, look at this, right here in the definition, you guys look it up, by abiding in the presence of God. If you're abiding in the presence of God, that's time well spent. That's eternal value time. If we're not doing that, if we're not really leaning in and having conversation, there's really very little life, like eternal life, forever life. So we just need to make sure we have our lens straight. And really, friends, I just want you to know that this is the first point of the message. And I haven't even read it yet, but we just did point one. Isn't that awesome? So again, point number one, Believers, we are called to be change agents to this human time and experience by bringing in the very kingdom of God to it. The things that are forever, truth and love, that's our job description. That's what our rhythm of life should be. And oh, by the way, I left out one little part. When you do it, you're going to interact with crowds. You're going to interact with religious traditions. You're going to interact also as a disciple. One thing I left out is that there's also going to be demonic things going on. We're going to see that in today's passage. If you do what's right, you're going to open up the door to the eternal realm, and all hell will have uh, a desire to stop you. Are we in the right room? All right. I just want to make sure. All right, let's jump into uh, God's Word, because if we don't see ourselves as change agents, we will miss what we're about to read. So that's why I camped on it. Mark 7, 24 through 26. Should be, what an awesome job, thank you. Now Jesus got up and went from there to the region of Tyre. Remember where he was at? So he's in Israel, he's teaching in his hometown, he's doing this stuff. Earlier on, a bunch of people came from out of the country, Tyre and Sidon, to hear him and confirm him. Remember the people in his hometown said, you're crazy, right? And then very little happened even with his own folks. And so this is kind of the uh, 
place that he's finding himself in. As soon as he does something right, what happens? The religious leaders come, as we saw last week in Kurt's message. They just start attacking him and trying to put out the fire of change that he's brought. And so it says, again, now Jesus got up and went from there to the region of Tyre. And when he had entered a house, he wanted no one to know about it. And yet he could not escape notice. But after hearing about him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of Syrophoenician descent. That's interesting, isn't it? First of all, I just want you to know this is the only time recorded in Scripture, and, and historians have looked at this, and I've researched it very thoroughly. This is the only time that we know Jesus left Israel, his home country. It's the only time. He stayed within the boundary and the limits of his country his whole life, except for this one episode. And just so that you know, it was a 35-mile walk uh, to be able to go from where he was at by the Sea of Galilee to go into this large, industrious, prosperous town called Tyre. It was one of the head seaports for the Roman Empire in the country of Syria and all the way to uh, Lebanon and out. And so it was a significant city. And he leaves where he's at and he goes there with his disciples. Now let me, let me tell you what the scholars have said because I want you to be able to make a choice here. The scholars have said there's two reasons Jesus went. And I, I think there's merit in both of these explanations. One is that he was always... Uh, trying to find this place of rest to enter in with his disciples, right? He kept going, trying to find a place of rest, a quiet place, but the crowds kept coming, right? Wherever he goes, he gets discovered. And so they said maybe he was leaving to go to another country just to finally find that retreat. Uh, personally, I'm not sure that's, if, if I'm one of the disciples and you say, hey, we're going to have a retreat, but you have to walk 35 miles to get there, I'm already thinking this doesn't sound like retreat to me, all right? And uh, of course, when he gets there, the place blows up. So couldn't he have seen that in advance? So that's just, I'm not sure, maybe, I don't know. But that's what scholars say. The second thing that scholars are saying is that because of the religious persecution, he wasn't able to give the disciples the individual attention he wanted, so he was trying to move to a different place to be able to do that. And so it was, it was a way to step out of that religious persecution for a time. And I think there could be merit to that as well. I understand that. But Jesus himself went into the temple face-to-face, -face and started persecution. I mean, he just walked right into it. He didn't ever walk away from it. He didn't escape it. He just almost like said, okay, let's go. It's your truth, here's my truth, right? That's how he handled it. So it doesn't make sense if you escape. Can I tell you the reason I think, and I spent time praying, just said, Lord, is this, why'd you leave? Why'd you go to a different country? And he said, because I'm calling you to go to it. I'm calling everybody to get out of their comfort zone and to go to a new place. I want to, I'm going to model it. I'm not going to tell you to go unless I go. And he broke the barrier for it. He broke, I think, not only a physical barrier, like a geographic barrier. I think he broke a spiritual barrier that said, my life is not just for the nation of Israel. It's for every person and all people. And I'm showing it. I'm walking it. I'm living it. Are you with me? Let's go. That's what I believe he did. And he went. Because the same stuff happened, whether he was somewhere else or there. The crowds come, and then the opportunity arises to be able to teach on change. 
So again, when I'm asking us to be change agents, I'm not asking you to consider minimal changes. Yes, we should all do minimal changes. Minimal changes move to bigger things, right? Start small, play the long game. I agree with that. But Jesus broke a spiritual barrier. Jesus broke physical, geographic, human barriers when he went there. You think the religious leaders were mad at him before? Now they're really mad. How could any good Jew go to Tyre, our enemy, who's more prosperous than us, who we're already jealous of, and start your teaching there? The religious leaders were always trying to put Jesus in his place. And Jesus' place was where he could create change. Jesus was looking, where's the best change? That's where I'm going. That was his place. In my life, one of the things I've liked the least of all in my life is when people try to put me in my place. I don't know. I'm just telling you, I don't do well with that. I really don't. I'm the third child of seven kids, and I have people always trying to put me in my place, and I just don't do it well. And I'm glad, because I don't want to put anybody else in their place either. And now we're going to go to the second part of the message, which is amazing. Point number one, change agents. You there? I'm looking for some nods because I'm feeling a little awkward. Are we all change agents? Ready to make some change? We are living change. We carry the change. I like what Obama said. When If you go back to his uh, campaign, hope and change, man. Come on. Come on. Where's hope? Hope fuels change. Change is a choice. Let that choice be energized by what? Hope. Let's get the right words. Let's do what we're supposed to do. Let's be change agents. We're not tradition protectors. We're change agents. If you believe that, let's go to the next section. Uh, before we do, I, have, I don't have time to do this, but I want to at least uh, show you a change stations uh, for change agent sign. Um, I, I, um, I have a long graph that I uh, believe it has some value about how we can be change agents and the stations that we go through as change agents. Let me just say this that there's often a comfort zone or a status quo that we're going to have to face. We're often in it and trying to hold on to it ourselves, right? Because there's some, there's some benefit in status quo. There really is. There is a place where truth will rest. But truth won't grow in status quo. It just rests for a while. So that's where it can kind of sink in. But then at some point, we're going to have to move out of status quo into what I call status no. In other words, I'm not going along with just status anymore. Status isn't working for me. Right? It's worked this far, but I'm going to live above the status. Come on. I'm going to live above it. And I'm not going to re let religion or other people keep me from moving on. And so then at that point, you're at what's called a point of decision or an opportunity for change. That's where we're going to have to choose. Will I change or will I not? Right? Will I go to that new place? After that, if you say yes, you enter into what I'm calling status grow. Status grow. This is where you're going to start growing. And from status grow, guess where we go? Status flow. 
Status flows when the Holy Spirit's using us and it's fluid. It's not such so awkward to change. Now we're actually, we just, we're in our rhythm. We got it. And, and change is flowing through us. It's not like we're trying to make it happen. It's just happened. It's like when I sing and it just comes out on key so beautifully. It's just like flowing. All right. But anyway, uh, we'll, we'll, we can make this more available. I just, we only have so much time. So now let's go back to the message. So, uh, point number two is going to be this. We all have a story. Because we heard about Jesus going to Tyre, and he runs into a house that's going to be quiet, so they say, and it isn't. And somebody comes in and interrupts, and they are committed to sharing their story. What I want us to acknowledge today is that each person in this room, each one of us has a story. You have an amazing story. God's invested so much in your life. And guess what, friends? Your life is just starting. Because when you hit a life-changing moment, when everything changes, your story can be much more remarkable than what you ever even thought. That's what we're going to see today. She thought her life was on the track for this type of a story. She could probably pencil in the end chapter, right? And then she heard of Jesus and everything changed. So that's what we're getting ready to see. All right, so back to Mark 7, 26 or 30. Wasn't it amazing that Jesus got up and left and went? Aren't you glad that he did? And you, you do understand that we're called to get up and go too, right? It's a little quiet in here today, like hot or something. All right, let's go. Mark 7, 26 through 30. Now the woman, the Gentile of Syrophoenician descent, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. All right, time out. Does that bother anybody? That a demon would inhabit a daughter? I'm telling you, I am the father of three daughters. I would never want any of my daughters to be inhabited by a demon. What an awful hard thought. Come on. I, and so, friends, again, either this is true or not. When I first went to seminary and got educated, remember, I've got a Master's of Divinity, a Doctorate of Ministry and Leadership. I studied... Hebrew, I studied Greek, I studied to make sure this stuff was accurate, okay? I walked out of seminary after three years, the first time of getting my master's, and I said, I don't believe in the demonic. That was just the way that they were sharing in their culture for people who are mentally ill. That's what I said. That's what I convinced myself to believe. Yeah, I just thought, there's no such thing as demons living in people. I just couldn't believe it. I'm just telling you, that's my human brain, that's where I was at. I didn't grow up in the church, I didn't... I ignored that stuff. I didn't want to have to ever deal with it. I go to our first church. Uh, my wife and I get there, and I'm telling you, we had more demons in the first service than we had people. It was remarkable. It, it was so active. You could see it. And I thought, I'm going to have to learn how to deal with the demonic. I've been insulated or I've fooled myself, but this is real. So there's three sets of people we're going to have to deal with. Sometimes we're one of those sets, remember? 
the crowd, the religious, and then the disciples. Can I tell you, there's a fourth element, and that's the demonic. You just need to be prepared. Through the, the end of the long story is I've learned some very straightforward, strong, simple prayers that I begin my life with every day to minimize the ability of the enemy to work against me. And I start that way. I recommend you do the same. All right? There's an enemy who hates you because why? You're a change agent. And right now, he's trying to protect his, its comfort zone. And one of the best tools he has, religious people. Ouch. And so I say religious people, I don't, I, I don't mean disciples, people who are really leaning to the heart of God. I mean, there's a lot of people who call themselves staff and are working against us and trying to keep Jesus from getting in our place. I was at Lowe's, I kid you not, yesterday, early in the morning, I got up, I was one of the first persons at Lowe's, and I'm just trying to find some safer stuff to put on my little fruit trees. And two ladies are just having this conversation, and they're in the garden section. I'm just trying to get help. They both work there. I'm invisible to these two ladies. And I'm literally, I'm standing there, and I was about to do this, <clears throat> you know, my, my guy stuff. And so I, what I did, because I know that's roots, I just moved over to where they, can, they had to see me. And as I moved over, I heard them better. They said, yeah, I can't believe what that denomination said. Either. I don't believe that denomination. Isn't there any place where there's just people that actually believe the Bible? That's what they said. These two ladies are having an amazing conversation about what does it mean to live the book. And I started thinking, you know what? I want to be in a church that lives the book too. Because sometimes the denominations, the religious stuff, are a distraction. And I'm not, I'm not saying yes or no to denominations. What I'm saying is religious traditions are no way to take on a demonic being. You need to be able to hear from God and walk in his truth and his love and his power. That's how it works. All right, I'm rambling. So let's just... Get back, but she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he was saying to her, listen, so be, before you, you know, you have, you've already seen it. But anyway, when I'm first reading this, I wonder what he's going to say to her. I'm really sorry that your daughter has a demon. I wouldn't want a, a demon in anyone. I was wondering if he would say something like this. Yeah, you know what? I've seen Satan face to face, and it's awful, and I'm sorry that your daughter has to be. That way. I'm, this is what I'm thinking he's going to say, right? Look what he says to her. Let the children be satisfied first, for it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. So I'm in Israel. Let's unpack this. I leave Israel and I come to your city. You go out of your way to come find me in your city. Because you're advocating for a demonic being being taken out of your daughter. And I'm going to say, I'm sorry, I'm here for the Israelites and the rest of you are dogs. Does anybody, did you see that coming? And I'm thankful because I thought, this just doesn't sound like Jesus. And so he was using a slang term that was used in Israel in that region at the time. They would say that. They'd say, look, hey, man. If you understand us, it's our culture first, our people first, everybody else later. I wish we could hear 
I'm spinning right now because I'm just holding myself back. I'm sorry, but I know my place, and I know your place, and your place ain't lining up with my place. Can you hear him? So he, he throws that out there to her. And I'm, I'm just letting you know that in this culture, in this day, if you were a woman, strike one. If you were a Syrian woman, strike two. If you were a Syrophoenician woman, strike three. Just, you're out. And it says right here, this woman came, she was Syrophoenician, and Jesus does the dog thing to her. Now, here's the, here's the softener. I looked it up, and you guys do your research too. I looked it up, and it was a slang term that was used. So he wasn't necessarily imposing that on her. He was just reminding her of the slang of the day. That's what he's doing. But he changed it. Instead of using the word dog, he uses the word little dog, puppy. In Greek, you wouldn't know it, but in Greek, there's a different word. And so it's little dog. And so that probably sparked something inside of her. Like, wait a minute, you're using the slang, but you changed one word, dog. You're still calling me a dog, but at least you're calling me a puppy dog. <laughs> kind of, kind of, I'm just, I want to make sure we understand what's happening here. And But she answered, look at verse 28, but she answered and said to him, yes, Lord. But even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And then she uses the same word dog that he did, puppy dog. And so in the, she's, she just totally leaned into what he was doing. She's going, okay, yeah. You're going to call me a dog because I'm a woman, Syrophoenician? You have a right. That's a tradition. Do you hear me? That's the tradition. That's the way the religious leaders have scribed it to be. Come on. You're following the patterns. But let me tell you this. Here's my loophole. There's going to be some crumbs. I'll take the crumbs. I'm not going to fight with you about my rights. I'll take the crumb. And by the way, I'm calling you Lord. I don't know about the rest of the people in this room, but I'm calling you Lord. And he said to her, because of this answer, go. Now what has he done? He's gone. He left Israel. Was a new country, Mama. He is a goer. Because of what you said, you get to go. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And going back to her home, she found the child lying on the bed, the demon having left. Did this really just happen or what? Isn't that amazing? Can you imagine? Now she goes back. Can I tell you everything changed for her? Everything. Life changing mind. Jesus brought it. Jesus brought the change. And I want you to recognize if, if we understood the power of what really took place in this story, is that this Syrophoenician woman, mother of a daughter of a demon possessed child. That's that's the story was seen by Jesus beyond that limit, beyond that phrase. And he saw her 
as a change agent, somebody who could carry the change. He gave it to her. He gave her the change, the very change she needed, so she could carry it. I'm believing that there's times when we miss change agent assignments because we don't think it's our place to bring the change. So I look around again. Look, come on, look around. Look around, please. Look around at the other change agents in the room. You are a change agent. You can run from it. You can run from truth all you want. You can't escape truth. Truth's going to find you. It never returns void. So if that's the truth, can I give you a suggestion? Bring change in love. That's what Jesus is really doing. Jesus pulled the Syrophoenician woman in. He wasn't pushing her away. He walked 35 miles for that meeting. He went there for her. And she advocated for her daughter. And she was going to be noticed and she wasn't going to be quiet because she was looking for change. And sometimes I wonder why we're so quiet. Is this place really that great? People, come on. It's planet crazy. It sucks a lot here. And we just sit there and look the other way or go the other way. I need to be around people who want to create change. I don't want less than that because anything less than that is less. There's people right now who are on the verge of rehab or not. There's people right now who are trapped in demonic influence or will be set free. There's people right now who are either going to say yes to the temporal or yes to the eternal. We carry it. We represent truth. We represent life. We are eternity here. That's the truth. And I'm so grateful for everybody in this room. I'm so grateful that I get to be a church, be a part of a church where we really are change agents. I'm so grateful that we're unique and different. And that's our commitment. And when I get to walk alongside of some of the people, Ryan, just getting to be a part of your life, man. Different things that I've been able to do. I'm changed because of that. Life group, I'm looking at you. You make me a different, better person. Marcy's been working on me all these years. Life group, you're getting it done. I know she's sending you texts beforehand, too. I know she's doing it. We need each other. We need each other. And so we also need to acknowledge that there's times to be noticed. And here's one I want to politely offend us. Now, we're as a church, we're better than most churches. We really are because we're real. We're not all that religious. Friends, we're meeting in the People's Plaza of Lakewood. We're meeting in here, then out there in the lobby through the glass. This is not the usual way to do church. And I'm grateful for that. And as Eddie and I have shared many times, and we appreciate it, coming to Redeemed Church is like walking into Safeway. And so you're like, 
There's young people, there's old people, there's white people, there's black people, there's brown people, right? There's rich people, there's poor people. Come on! It's Lakewood right here. It's real people. And that's a beautiful thing. And guess what? Even in our preaching and teaching, there's old people. I'm owning it. I'm owning it. It's not easy being this old. There's young people. And we're going to get to hear more and more from those young voices. It's beautiful. There's people of color who do the preaching. And there's women who do the teaching. That's a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Because it's real. It's every day. It's life-changing. And so just like I need my life group, I need some women speaking up every now and then. Women, you need to be noticed. Come on. Oh, I should do it like this. Right. Hey, Sarah, I saw your cool cheetah shoes. Man, those are sharp looking. They're a little worth being noticed. Where's Sarah? Sarah? She had some cool shoes on when she was leading worship today, boy. They're good. I noticed. Ladies, You've done so much behind the scenes. And I could call so many of you out. I'm telling you, to the best of my ability, I want to notice you today. Thank you for advocating for others. Ladies, you've done so well. Thank you. You hear me? Not easy. We need you. We need your voices. You need to be heard. And so it's it's appreciated. And maybe in some religious circles it's resisted. It's okay to resist stuff. Just don't stay there. Resist, learn, grow, and flow, right? Are you with me, church? And it's interesting. If you look at the header of this time in Jesus' life, the header is the Syrophoenician woman that advocated for her daughter. Now I want to talk to everybody else in the land. She was willing to fight for her daughter. We should be advocates and willing to fight for our community. If somebody's lost and doesn't know the life and the love of Jesus Christ, we need to fight for them. We need to be noticed. We need to be willing to stand up and do our part to do what? To make a difference. So I just bless you in that quest. And the last thing I want to say, if you want to do that, then you're going to have to lay aside judgment. If you really want to notice people, you can't judge people. You have to put judgment aside to see into the life of a real person. You have to put judgment aside. I'm not saying what I'm not saying. And I'm willing to have conversations with anybody in, out of a crowd moment where we can sit and talk for them. I'm willing to do that. But as soon as you judge somebody, they're not hearing a word you say, except you judge me. I'm not saying that there's not right and wrong. There's right, there's wrong, there's good, there's evil, there's heaven, there's hell. It's all at cost right now. Let's get this right. But our judgment won't move somebody from wrong to right. Truth moves them from wrong to right. Love carries them 
into good from evil, right? So you have to lay aside, we have to lay aside judgment. Some of us are good at judging. Some of us are better at asking questions and caring. Jesus unlocked the story of the Syrophoenician woman. I wonder how many of her friends and family and other people understood that she had a daughter that was possessed by a demon. That's not what you normally buy a t-shirt and walk down the street with. It's not the bumper sticker. Jesus unlocked the opportunity for her to share her story. If we want to unlock the stories of other people and be change agents, we have to kick judgment aside. That's what I'm saying. Does that make sense? And so then through that, we've earned the right to really speak love and speak truth into a person's life. I just want to make sure that we understood that. All right. You know, it's interesting when I think of the scholastic viewpoint of why Jesus went into Tyre. And again, I believe he went because it was right to go. and We're called to go. We're getting ready to go. Um, you have to wonder how Jesus's impact on the Seraphonician's woman's life changed the destiny of her or her family, right? You also have to wonder what the impact of the woman was on Jesus. Here's Jesus always looking for a place to rest, always looking just to get a break from the religious attacks. You know what I'm, th I'm thinking personally, friends, is this interaction with this change agent on that day filled him with lots of hope, filled him with lots of life. When we do this, when we step out to actually be this change agent, I'm suggesting that it gives Jesus a sense of joy. And so we, we, we walk out of here knowing that we get to bring something to the table for Christ, and it's called joy. Thank you.